eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, here with Jeff Burton. Fresh off a doubleheader weekend in Pocono Raceway, and a lot of stuff happened, Jeff. I want to get to all of it, but I just want to start with Pocono as the doubleheader concept. This was, it was tried last year, but this year was the first time we got the full-fledged immersion experience. I mean, the campground was packed. I think they had close to 4,000 campers and tent spaces sold. I think I read it was sold out a week ago. From afar, I did not go, but you were there. It certainly seemed like this was, you know, pretty much exactly the way it was meant to be for Pocono. Uh, it was exactly the way it was meant to be, and, and I think it was even more, I don't know statistically, but potentially more people there than ever. I mean, from the booth where we could get a great view of the infield, like it was crazy. Like places that we normally had never seen motorhomes, there were motorhomes. It's hard for me to get a sense. I can see the grandstands, but I can't see them from afar. It felt like almost every seat was full for the, for the cup races. You know, I don't know about the business side of it, but from a awesome weekend, I think it was a huge success. I mean, the, the fans saw five races. They saw a lot of big names. They saw compelling races. Pocono prior to this, though, let's, let's give Pocono credit. They have worked hard to create that motorhome experience. You know, yes. they have continued to up their game in regard to that infield, that motorhome experience. The doubleheader, I think, enhanced that. I think people are sick of being home. That enhanced it. But I also think that when they got there, they had a big time. They had a good time. There was music. There was, it just really, it had to be a successful weekend. Yeah, and it feels like it's a bit of a winning streak here for several years for Pocono. They spent a lot of money upgrading the facility. They put a lot of, you know, millions into new drainage and uh, some noticeable things around the campgrounds as well. They shortened the races a few years ago to 400 miles. That was well received. And now shortening them to even more the last two years with these back-to-back races, it feels like it was a home run. And is it exclusive to Pocono or should more tracks maybe consider this? I'm not advocating double hitters every weekend, right. but this is the only one this year. I think there might be room for maybe one or two more. So I, listen, I think the concept of a NASCAR weekend is almost not a double header in cup, but you have Xfinity, you have trucks. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think that I think that, that concept's been around for a long time, right? You have these feeder races that lead into the big day on Sunday. Finding a way to enhance that, I think is really important. And, and you know, you mentioned the shorter races. You know, you talk to a lot of fans and they don't necessarily want shorter races. I think the quality of race is better with a shorter race, but what do you, so what do you give the fan a shorter race, they see a better race, but they don't feel like they had something taken away from them. Xfinity race, truck race on the same day of qualifying, you know, qualifying, right. something. But at the end of the day, people will come to watch races, right? So. 
you know, we talk a lot about practice days and qualifying days and all that stuff. And from my eyeballs, right, it's they want to see a race. Right. Like I see the people in the seats for practices. I see them in the seats for qualifying. They want to see a race. So I think finding a way, you know, to maybe it's not two cup races on a weekend, but why not do like Richmond's doing later in the year? You have the Xfinity race and then followed up by a cup race. You know, and maybe you don't have to shorten the races at, at Richmond. Maybe at Atlanta, they do the trouble, they do the doubleheader with trucks, cup, maybe Xfinity in the morning, cup in the afternoon, something like that. I think some of those things have to be in people's minds because people are busier right. today. Right. I mean, it is, right. everybody's busy, right? And so how can you give the fans more, show, have a better race, give them more to watch? I think fans will always think that's a good idea. And I realize I, like, a lot of this is in flux for NASCAR next year as they think about like how they're going to bring back practice and qualifying. And I know that's TBD, but I think there's probably going to be more on-track activity in 2022 than there was in 2021 with eight qualifying and practice weekends. And I just think... The, you know, the model of you know, what you just talked about, having like Trucks Thursday, Xfinity Friday, Cup Saturday, like they did at Richmond. Like maybe going away from that a little bit and having, as you said, five races in three days or, you know, four races in two days. Like maybe that kind of being more of an event-based sort of thing. Yeah, and you still, you still have to make it. What's awesome about a, race, a NASCAR race weekend, and we've gotten away from this some, uh, remember how we used to have the boulevards with all of the souvenir trailers, we, which we still have that. Yeah. But we also had a lot of corporations invested in that area of the racetrack that gave fans something to do. We don't have as many of those things anymore. Yeah. So we got to find a way to have an inner, something that's entertaining because you know there's so many people at these events you just don't roll in there 30 minutes of a race you roll in there two or three hours before the race so what do you do for those two or three hours i think all that's important and and i see it every week i, I since i went from this side of the fence to this side of the fence i feel the energy when you're going to the booth two and a half hours for the race or two hours for the race you feel the energy there's some racetracks that have music playing they have stuff going on they have drivers out doing things there's other tracks that have nothing and it's a completely different feeling and so i the tracks the tracks i think are always doing the best they can for the fans they always want to do the best job for the fans but i think creativity is always a good good idea too marcus is really i mean everybody's yeah. working their butts off to, to be creative but this weekend i think gives not a blueprint because i think what makes things special is that it's different than something else. Yeah. If, if something's special and you do it all the time, it's, it's now average. Now it's the normal. Every track needs to have their own special, and that's what, that's what makes it work. You mentioned on-track activity. I'm yeah. a big believer, and car owners are going to get mad because there's, you know, there's always going to be a conversation about, I, I'm, I've always been a car owner supporter. You know, you yeah. know from covering me for 30 years, I, right. I believe car owners are the people that have the, deserve the most protection in this sport. At the same time, for the health of the sport, I think there has to be on-track activity. I think we have to have practice. I, I don't, I'm not saying it needs to be three 50-minute sessions, but we need cars on the racetrack. A lot of reasons that we need cars on the racetrack. You know, if you look at, and I've been beating this drum for a long time, if you look at how long is it taking Christopher Bell to get to where he needs to be, how long is it taking Chase Briscoe. How long is it going to take these young drivers to get to where they need to be? I'm not calling for special opportunities for them. I'm calling for equal opportunities yeah. for them, right? Yeah. And now, if you're a rookie, you're so far behind. And that isn't just that year. That leads to the next year. And that leads to the next year. 
And this sport, you know, Richard Petty doesn't drive anymore. Kelly Yarbrough doesn't drive anymore. Jimmy Johnson doesn't drive anymore. Jeff Gordon doesn't drive anymore. There's always people coming. We've got to give those younger drivers enough seat time so that they can put pressure on the oil. That's what this sport's yeah. always yeah. been about. Right. It's what it's always been about. And in every other sport, they're allowed that opportunity. But what we have now with not no ability to practice, or well, almost no ability to practice, and forget the simulated conversation. That, the hell with that. That's not the same thing. <laughs> right. No, it's not. So it's too much of a burden. And they've got to find a way to shorten that gap. It's, it's just a simple issue of the health of the sport. Forget the driver, but for the health of the sport, we've got to find a way to do that. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think like there need to be more cars on track, not just for the benefit of the young drivers, but everything we just talked about as well, giving fans a reason to be there, especially with activation diminishing from sponsors. But I'm also mindful, to your point, being a team owner advocate, and how much can the teams handle? And obviously a big benefit of the last year and a half has been not having to prepare backup cars sure. has been tremendous savings in money, yep. tremendous saving in time and resources. And there, but there's probably it's a way to do both. There's probably a way to do both. We got to find a way to do both. Hopefully, smarter people than you and I. Although there's not many smarter than you when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> I uh, hope there, think about this. I hope there is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, again, like one way that I think that this works is if you give the fans great racing. And I think Pocono certainly delivered on that. Both races, Jeff. This was one of the probably the best Pocono race weekends we've seen. Uh, we'll go in order. Start with race one. Almost a shame that Kyle Larson didn't win this race for many reasons, but to me, like the biggest shame was the way he would have won it. And I think you were one of the first to notice it in the booth. The surgical precision in which he passed Alex Bowman, a teammate, what, it probably took him four or five laps to get around Alex Bowman on a track where it's very difficult to pass. And I thought you and Stevie and Dale Jr. did a great job in kind of breaking down everything that Kyle Larson had to do to get around Alex Bowman. Take us through that again and why that was so masterful. Well, so I, first of all, I, our, our, you know, our production group gave us an opportunity to watch that battle, right? Yeah. And we focused on that battle and recognized the fact that this was a battle for the lead and Kyle Larson had work to do and gave us an opportunity. That was awesome. And then, which they always do, our production group is so awesome. But Kyle Larson knew this wasn't an easy pass. And he kept trying things, kept trying things, kept trying things. And he never, he was always doing small things that were different. And how was Alex Bowman responding to those things? And there, Kyle changed his line a little bit. And about the same time, and it took me a couple laps to recognize, I thought Kyle just got better, but in fact, Alex started getting tighter. And in, especially in one, you could really see it. So, so then it turned into, okay, to make this work, Larson's got to have a great turn three, be closer to him than he's been in turn, than he had been getting into turn one, and then take advantage of the speed disparity. And he finally did it. And it wasn't that he wasn't trying, it's just as mm -hmm. damn hard. And he kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it and just stayed relentless, didn't get frustrated and eventually made the pass. And it was so much fun to watch that battle. And, and it reminded me a little bit of the Kevin Harvick, Joey Logano battle, right? At Kansas. Few, at Kansas. Yeah. And you know, people were like, ah, oh, he's that stupid, he should be out of passing. Right. 550 horsepower, I can't see on this stuff. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. they're driving the hell out of these cars. Right. They're not sitting around there running wide open, they're driving the hell out of these cars. And there's a skill to it, there's an art to it. And Joey Logano and Kevin Harvick showed it on that day. Alex Bowman and Kyle Larson showed it on this day, and and it's a it's a real art to it, it's a skill to it, and 
and it was just so it's so much fun to watch. I love two I love two, three, four guys just going at it. Like yeah. just playing out. We got a race and we're gonna win a race and it's right now. It's just a great example. Is there another layer to it when it's teammates like it was with Larson and Bowman? I mean obviously Pocono is a two and a half mile track. It's not a short track. I mean Larson's not gonna just move Alex Bowman. But to me it seemed like there had to be a little bit more precision there than maybe if it was yeah. just a, a Gibbs driver. I, I mean, listen, I think the drivers a lot of times will say, no, it's not, but it is. It's a little bit for sure. I mean, yeah. in some ways, you get it's almost like a sibling rivalry. You know, you want to beat him more than you do the next guy. <laughs> yeah. But you can't necessarily play by the rules he would with another guy. But for a guy like Kyle Larson, it doesn't matter. So he's going to race that guy the same no matter who he is. There's some drivers out there. It doesn't matter who that guy is in front of you. You're going to race him the same way. I think about Kyle Larson's like that. I think Jimmy Johnson was like that. Their intention isn't to go in there and move the guy. Yeah. I mean, they might, you know, like we saw Kyle Larson, what he did to Kyle Busch, you know, at, at Chicago. And, you know, he went in there and tried to slide him and missed it and, you know, crammed right. him up in a wall. But he missed the slide. He just misjudged it. Right. Kyle Larson's not a dirty driver. So I think for a guy like that, they don't have to change very much when they're racing their teammate. That's interesting. So there's kind of like a code that a, a guy like Larson might have versus so a Jack, traditional. So stuff Jack like Roush told me he told me early in my career when I started working with him, he said, "Look, here's the deal." He said, "You have to decide what your code is, yeah. and you have to live by that, and you build your the way you do things around that code." And and that was great advice. Like you know what your limit is. He said, now as an owner, I'm going to push you. There's going to be times when I think you need to change your code. And there were. There were times he told me, you just wrecked him. You know what I mean? There were times, and I didn't want to. And I didn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he would lean on me to, to do things that got me out of my comfort zone. That was his role as an owner. But, he, but he, his directive to me was, you have a code and you live by it. And, and that's what I always try to do. And I think that's what most drivers do. That code sometimes can end you in the NASCAR hall or at Darlington with Roush and Buddy it Parrott. Can, that, it, it can. And, story and, for another and listen, that code's different. <laughs> I mean, right? What, yeah. what I yeah. think is acceptable, somebody else doesn't. There isn't a rule book that says this is how you have to do it, right? Yeah, it's yeah, a personal yeah. opinion. A lot of it's personality. I mean, honestly, I said to somebody the other day, I can about talk to a driver for 30 minutes, spend 30 minutes, and tell you what kind of driver he's going to be. That's fascinating. A lot of it's just personality. It's, 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 it's just who you are. In casual conversation, you can pick up, I know this guy's going to move somebody or not. I can if, get a pretty good idea. Yeah. I can get a pretty good idea. That's, that's fascinating. So, unfortunately, Kyle Larson lives by his code, Jeff, and then with half a lap to go, his tire comes apart and unfortunately costs him a fourth straight points victory in NASCAR, fifth straight week of being in the winter circle. This was weird to me because it reminded me immediately, I don't know if you remember this race, but there was a race at Pocono uh, in 2000 where Mayfield, Jeremy Mayfield was leading on the last lap, had the exact same thing happen. Tire came apart, got passed by his teammate at the time, Rusty Wallace, you finished second that time. I don't know if it's the size of the racetrack or what, but is there just is there more debris that can result in the know. cut tire at the end of a run like yeah, that? Yeah, I don't or? know. I, I think, I, I suspect, I suspect, I don't know. I suspect that that was the left front tire went down, and I suspect that was just how rough the racetrack is. Low air pressure, running real low through the, through the tunnel turn, puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the hmm. sidewall of the tire early in the run after they came out with new tires on. I suspect that car, tire got damaged early in the run. I'm speculating. I'm told not to speculate. <laughs> right. But we also, heard, we also heard a report, I think from, from Marty, I can't remember who it was, that said they did indeed take a little bit of camber out before the race on, on Sunday. So, you know, they probably had it on their mind too. So just from experience, knowing that 
those flat racetracks that you know you really want that left front tire to work tons of camera in it and those bumps they can damage the sidewall of that tire so i suspect that's what that was but again i don't know that yeah yeah and the team took a look at it and i know goodyear is going to do uh post-mortem as well the i mean team... i don't know how you do post-mortem on something that goes around a racetrack a mile of a racetrack yeah, you know, yeah, it's kind of destroyed by the time it gets back. But from what but, they could tell, it wasn't where it looked like. So, yeah, I mean, for Alex, I mean, for, for Kyle, that was certainly, I mean, here he is going to put his name in the record books with the who's who list of NASCAR. Sure. I mean, yeah. holy moly. And I looked at that list, and I'm like, wow, I mean, that's a hell of a list. And uh, it didn't work out. But I think a lot of people look at that race, and they say, well, Alex Bowman got lucky. And he did. But Alex Bowman did a hell of a job of putting himself in position to win that race. And I don't think he's getting enough credit for that. You know, with this choose rule, he went, he made yeah. the decision. I don't remember who was third. I don't I, know. I, I, but I, he was fourth. And there's he been was so the many races in my head now, yeah. you know, I can't remember who was third, but whoever was third had the opportunity to take that inside line. They didn't. They lined up. They were in third position. They lined up the outside car of the third row. Alex Bowman went to the front and took the lead in turn one. Did it again the next day, too. Did it again on Sunday. So Alex Bowman said, "I'm okay, y'all want to give me this? Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. And drove that thing down in there. It turned. He got to do everything he needed to do, got the lead, and now he's controlling the race. And he held the hottest driver in the sport right now, the best team in the sport right now. He held them off for a long time, did a great job. I, I think that in fairness to Alex, we shouldn't forget that. He put himself in position by a bold move and executing. And yeah, he got lucky. Yeah. But if he, if he doesn't do that and doesn't execute and he's, he comes out of turn one, you know, like most people did on the bottom, they came out of turn one and third, fourth, fifth, right. he don't win that race. But that move is what won him the race. And we shouldn't forget that. We shouldn't just say, oh, he got lucky. He put himself in position in case something happened to win that race. I'm going back through my notes. I'm glad you brought up the restart because I was going to touch on that. I think it was the 24, maybe? Could have been. I, I just, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I should know that, but I just, I've, since then, I've watched two other races and, I, and it's foggy, but. <laughs> I, I should have known as well. But yeah, it, it kind of all blurs together. But you're right. I mean, another example of how the choose rule and those restarts really can affect things. And like you said, Bowman said, yeah, I'll take a flyer. And, and it almost, well, it did work out for him. Didn't work out for him when Kyle passed him, but he, like you said, no, he was right didn't. there it, when. It, it didn't, but, but. It, when he left turn one, he's like, we're going to win the race, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I mean, and he, yeah. you know, before, the, before that caution, he wasn't in position to win the race. Right. And, and good for him. I mean, I, listen, I love, I love step-up moments. I absolutely love when a driver, a team, anybody in a sport steps up at the key moment. That's what sports are about, right? Like, the clock's running down, you got to make something happen. And, and that's what he did. Yeah. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. I want it. And he took it, and I, I, I love the step-up moments. And, and, and he didn't have the fastest car. He, maybe he wasn't as good of a driver, Kyle Larson. I don't know. They, you know. Clearly, they weren't as fast. But he put himself in position to win the race, and, and I love those And things. made a statement coming off of he was not very good at Nashville. On a weekend when Larson and Byron, I think Chase, until that lug nut problem toward the end, they all ran him at Nashville. Yeah. And he, he was, you know, Bowman's coming off. He signed a two-year extension at Nashville, and there's all this attention. And then they weren't very good during the race. So you're right. Like, for him to sort of seize that moment was probably very important. And did you hear uh, the radio? I heard the radio on uh, Sirius XM this morning. I heard the radio. And uh, Greg Ives, his crew chief, when 
he uh, Alex apologized. Hey guys, I'm sorry, man. Yeah, yeah, I just got yeah. tight there on the last lap when he thinks he's gonna finish. Second. Yeah, and yeah. I, he's like, "Don't, we're not at his race." It's not. And then he's like, "I told you." He, and he's like, "Keep <laughs> on apologizing." You know what I mean? That was awesome, man. Yeah. Like that was, you know, people working together. Like somebody's got to raise the other guy up every now and then. And and that was an opportunity where he was like, "Look, never quit, never quit." And I I love that interaction. I just I. I know they got lucky, but they, they, they deserve credit for what they did, and they shouldn't be taken away from Well, they were definitely, like you said, right place, right time, and that's been true for a lot of the Hendrick Motorsports cars recently, and obviously in race one at Pocono, they were still class of the field, and uh, this was a little bit of an interesting discussion last week, Jeff. Uh, Scott Miller, Vice President of Competition at NASCAR, went on Sirius XM after Kyle Larson's victory at Nashville last week and said some interesting things. He basically said NASCAR would be scrutinizing Hendrick even more intently. And, you know, there was some garage chatter, I think it's fair to say, last week that <laughs> Hendrick might have changed its car as heading into Pocono because NASCAR had said to them, look, like Scott Miller said on the record publicly on SiriusXM, we're going to be scrutinizing you more closely. And Jeff Andrews, the general manager at Hendrick, was asked after Alex Bowman's win at Pocono. Bob Pockers, Fox Sports, for, for Jeff, is there any kind of feeling of vindication? There's a lot of chatter in the garage this week. Oh, they made Hendrick do this or they made Hendrick do that after Nashville to the cars. Um, I don't know about vindication or if we, we feel vindication. I mean, obviously... You know, we've been a race team before that's been in this position, and, and we've been chasing several organizations before ourselves. So, you know, we certainly understand, uh, you know, what it what it feels like. And, and hey, there were there were some great race cars out there today. I think you definitely saw gains in the JGR cars, uh, you know, this week. And uh, we'll keep pushing. Um, NASCAR and Jay Fabian, they do a great job uh, regulating this sport and, and, and keeping things in line. And you know, any time that they, they talk to you or, or want you to address something on your race cars, then, then we go back and address that. So it wasn't quite Jeff Andrews saying we went and changed, say, the noses on our cars, right. but I mean, clearly they had a discussion with NASCAR in which they felt like there might be something to react to. Yeah, I'm surprised. You know, I'm, I'm um, in my world, this happens all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm surprised it got out. You know what I mean? Like, this is, a, this is part of NASCAR always is going to scrutinize the people that are running best a little bit harder like and why wouldn't they right they check every the, the, the way things are today like it's not like hendrick is remaking their own noses like you imagine what the penalty for that would be i mean you're talking about a little bondo here a little something there it's not like major stuff like the nascar just ain't gonna put up with that right and so right. they have to stay on top of that i actually called scott miller and i'm like all right what you know he's like jeff the same stuff we all you know what i mean and yeah, so yeah. so I personally think the garage area, other than the Chevy camps, like yes, yes, <laughs> they found them, right? Yeah. Now, having said this, having said that, Kyle Busch ran really good this weekend, right? Right. You know, and and uh, you know, little things add up, and and you know, I, I I don't think NASCAR is in the business of saying, okay, you're the best team, so we got to slow you down. They were once, you know, if you drove a Ford and the Fords were the best, they chopped the spoiler off of it. I mean, trust me, I've lived that many days. Uh, they don't do that anymore. But I think that they will, if you're running, consistently running well, they scrutinize you more than they do everybody else. They always have. It's part of the sport. It's what they do. It's what the competition wants them to do. Like when you're the guy being scrutinized, you don't like it. But more times than not, you're not. And you know that if somebody's getting something over, NASCAR is looking and you're hoping they're going to find it. But I think, it's, I think it's really nothing they haven't always done. And is it something, do you think, fans 
expect NASCAR to do and are okay with it? Aside from if you're a fan of, say, Hendrick in this situation. I have no idea. I, I, you know, my perception of, uh, of all that is a little bit, you know, I, I kind of know the inside game and know the players. And my perception of the, what the fans see in, is a little bit skewed. It's hard for me to completely understand. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the fans, I don't think the fans believe that NASCAR is in the business of slowing Hendrick down, nor should they be. I don't think the fans, even if you're not a Hendrick fan, I don't think the fan wants NASCAR to step in and take an advantage away from a team. That's legal. I do think the fans expect, even if it is your favorite team, if they're cheating, for NASCAR to take it away. Yeah. And I don't yeah. think any form of fashion that all the Chevy teams are cheating. Right, right. And the competitors, to your point, like they expect NASCAR to do this because they always job. know the, the shoe could be on the other foot if they're yeah. being scrutinized. Yeah. yeah it's their yeah. job. It's their job. And that's what they do. They officiate the sport. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Well, as you mentioned, Kyle Busch won race two, and I'm just going to jump ahead here and just say that he made a point of saying after winning race two, he was asked about, guys feel like you were competitive with the Hendrick cars, and Kyle said, well, this is a really, really good place for us. We've been fortunate to be fast here since probably 2014, 15 time frame. Our guys do a really good job of, of coming here with really fast stuff, and so we were, same thing this weekend, we were fast. The Hendrick cars were still faster yesterday for sure through the corners never really ran with them raced with them much today i guess i did the 24 there for a little bit when i was stuck behind a three he couldn't pass me either and so we have got a great baseline here so this is a track where we can come here and feel good about our setup our baseline and everything we got and be quick i don't know that the hendrick guys can say the same thing like that uh they haven't been fast here in a while um obviously they were better they were faster this time around but um this this was a good chance for us to stack up as good as we can be and as good as they are we were right on par with them on a 10 out of 10 scale. If, if they're a 10 fast, we were a 9.95, you know, or we might have been a 10 and they were 9.95. It was really, really close. We still had a little bit of an issue this week uh, that I kind of feel like we always have. It's just we don't – I don't know how to say this without giving it all away. We don't use all four tires as good as we should, and Danny and I have talked about that for a couple of years and, and kind of complained about that, and uh, I feel like the Hendrick guys have – Always had the mechanical grip, but now they've they've also gotten the aero grip, the engine, 
mechanical. They've got it all. They've got all three parts. And I feel like we're still just a, a tick off on the mechanical. So your explanation for what that means when Kyle says, Kyle Bush says, we don't use all four tires as good as we should. So I think that Kyle, this, you know, I have, I have to speculate a little bit on this, right? So I think that Kyle is a guy that likes to be involved in his race cars. Yeah. Right. He likes to know what's in, not, I don't know that he knows what setups are, but he feels like he knows which tire needs to work the best. And from a, from a, the seat, what you feel matters like i feel this this is what i feel my car needs to be you know, what it needs to do to go faster so i've heard kyle make comments about i think the right rear tire work needs to work more i think the left front tire whatever i think that most likely what kyle is saying is that gibbs has become more dependent just on aero making the grip rather than aerodynamics downforce making the grip in addition to front geometry, rear geometry, springs, shocks, alignment, all the things that a typical setup would revolve around. So in 1999, we put the biggest spoiler on the thing as we could. We moved the tail to the right as far as we could. We did all those things we could, but we still worked, you know, after that, we worked exclusively on springs and shocks and sway bars. And today, most all the work goes in aerodynamics. And I think that Kyle is just saying, look, I think we can do better if the aero guys will keep working the same way they are, but we also need to work on the traditional things that make a car go around a racetrack. That's what I would read into that. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. He wins race two and wins it in rather dramatic fashion, uh, not just on fuel mileage, not just on stretching that, that last tank of fuel all the way to the absolute limit where he ran out of gas on, on the cool down lap, he also does it with only fourth gear. As a driver, how hard is it to drive with only fourth gear in your car? Okay, so, so what was so impressive about Kyle, and I feel like we covered that whole story really well. The only thing that we, we missed, and part of it is me, because I was sitting there watching it and I didn't relay the information. How did Kyle, think about this, so they got only fourth gear. So when, they're leaving, when he's leaving pit road, he only has fourth gear. He can't go into first. Right. Imagine in your car, if you have a manual, if anybody has a manual <laughs> transmission anymore, if you put that in fourth gear and try to leave your driveway. As the owner of a manual transmission for nearly 30 years, I can tell you this is almost impossible <laughs> to yes. like start a car and run it in fourth gear. And, and so how in the <laughs> hell did Kyle Busch leave? They brought him, he came down pit road with one to go. Right. Okay, I saw him down pit road and one to go. I have, we have a button in the booth that we can just talk amongst ourselves. Nobody else can hear us. I hit that button and I said, that's a gutsy move, bringing Kyle down with one to go with only fourth gear. They must think they have no chance. I didn't know at the time that NASCAR was making them put the shifter boot back on. And the reason that mattered is because while they're working on the car, the pace car is going around the racetrack. Mm -hmm. And the field's getting further and further away from him. And so when they dropped the green flag, Kyle was in fourth gear, da, 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 and everybody else is in first gear. <laughs> They're rolling. <laughs> so how in the hell did Kyle Busch leave pit road, get the car rolling, come around and not lose so much ground that he couldn't put himself in position to, listen to what I'm saying, to run Denny Hamlin out of gas, to run William Byron out of gas. He ran them all out of gas because he was close enough to them, they had to run a certain pace to stay in front of him. How did he do that? How did he get that track position to do that? 
And that's the only part of that story that we didn't cover as well as we should have. And that's on me. I should have done a better job at that. Because Kyle deserves a t tremendous amount of credit for not have, just having a tank full of gas more, a lap more fuel, but to have himself in position to be able to go. And right. when he went, everybody, he, everybody right. had to go, right. right? And so how did he do that? He and closed I, that gap with one gear. So now I, once he got going, <laughs> once he got going, it didn't matter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It once you get going, you know, it's you don't need another gear, and unless you're at a road course right. or something, you know. Right. But if you get one caution, he's done. Right. 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 That was my other question. Was like, it, I mean, th this couldn't have happened at any other time during the race, and he wins, right? Like it has to happen at this exact moment. So where he gets correct. that extra lap of fuel, that's correct. and then it goes green the whole way. Had he caught a caution. If a he's caution done. comes out any other time, he's done. Because even if he doesn't pit, he he's going to restart in fourth gear everybody else is going to be in first gear they're blowing by him so right he, it, it yes it everything happened the way he needed it to happen in order to win the race but he but i think the fastest car won the race on that day he didn't win the race by for by being the fastest yeah. car but i think yeah. the fastest car won the race i think kyle they've made a jump i mean I, you and i've talked about it i felt like they're the third best team at gibbs mm -hmm. for not a few weeks but for a couple mm -hmm. years that's not the case anymore over the last month, the 18 car has become the best car at Gibbs. And he's the one putting the pressure on Kyle Larson. He's the one that's driving Hendrick to have to be better. He, he and his team are doing that. And on this day, they had the best car. They had the most speed on, that, on Sunday. I, now, that could have been because Larson wasn't as good. You know, with he got damaged. There's some things that happened there. And the 18's judge, when he talks about Hendrick, I think he's mostly talking Surely the, all the Hendrick cars run really well, but Larson will net a step yeah. better. Yeah. So Larson wasn't, they weren't their best on Sunday. Definitely gonna be interesting to see how Kyle and everybody does over these last seven races of the regular season. I think you're clearly right. Kyle is definitely carrying the Toyota flag and the Gibbs flag in a way that we certainly saw Truex do it earlier this year. Hamlin do a little bit of a degree, but like right now it's Kyle and nobody I, else. Yeah, right? and I, man, I can't, the Truex thing has me worried. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I mean, it's just, it's baffling that they're that far off. Right. I mean, they don't, they're not close to where they need to be. And that's, it's fascinating, really. I mean, it's, it's, when you take a step back and you look at it, it's like, wow. It's crazy how much that's changed. Well, certainly um, Road America might give them a chance to turn things around. Playoff picture here with seven races to go, Jeff. A lot of surprises. I think we all had Chris Buescher certainly not gliding into the playoffs but he had a i think he was 50 points up on the cut line after this coca-cola 600 here we are barely a month later and now he's outside the last provisional playoff spot kurt bush has moved up into there stenhouse another guy who's fallen out what do you make of uh the points jumble going on there for those last few spots yeah you know matty d's back there yeah you know there's i i, I don't stenhouse and those guys they had a really good run at nashville pit stops hurt them uh busher had trouble at nashville of all those groups, the one car is running the best. I, I told Bush the other day, I had a conversation with him, and I'm like, I said, I don't, I don't know who you're talking to or what you're going to do for next year, <laughs> but I hope you don't stop because he can still be really effective in a race car. I, I don't know if he's as good as he you know, was at his best. I don't know. But Kurt Busch clearly can still make lap time, can still manage a race, can still do all the things that a race team needs out of a driver. I hope he continues his career through next year because he's he's a special driver. He and I haven't always seen eye to eye, and, but but I have so much respect for what he does. And even in later in his career, 
I, I feel like he's been, I mean, every team he's gone to, they've run better. And, and uh, I think Ross Chastain is benefiting from that. So I hope, I hope whatever Kurt ends up doing, I hope it's, it's still in the seat because I think, I think he can still bring a lot to a team. We'll certainly see what unfolds there. He definitely wants to drive that next-gen car. Uh, one driver whose future came a little bit more into focus, Brad Keselowski, there have been multiple reports out there. Yeah, he's had this deal with Roush that he's, that's where he's going to drive next year. That's going back a month ago. There was another report this past week that Roush has now told their sponsors this is happening. Brad Keselowski has a victory, so he's in the playoffs, but you know what this is like to be a driver at a yeah. team where you know you're not going to be there next year. How difficult will this be, do you think? So I think that, listen, I think they're all professionals. You know, I, I think that what it's going to require is for everyone once, and look, maybe they all internally know more than, than they can talk about, yeah. right? But, or maybe they don't. But I think once everybody can really sit down and have the honest conversation, uh, it's in everybody's best interest right to put a hundred percent forward where it gets difficult is in the difficult times right so it's easy to say if you look at Brad Keselowski's success or lack of success over the last month it coincides with all these rumors well it's easy to say well, he's not focused he's thinking about the next thing right mm -hmm. it's easy to do that so internally he can't do that with the team like he has to assume good intentions the team is still going to give me 100%. The team needs to assume that he's doing the same. And you have to, to do that, you have to have upfront, frank, honest conversations and, and, and then prove it, right? You got to show you, you got to work a little harder. You got to show you care a little bit more. If you don't, any, any inkling of they're not trying as hard as they were, it feels real, even if it's not. Mm -hmm. Because unfortunately, well, that's all how we're kind of wired. You're all kind of wired to think, well, the guy's not going to, it's just, you know, but you're talking about Penske and you're talking about Brad Keselowski. And I think that the Penske organization clearly is exceptionally professional. I believe Brad Keselowski is the same. I think Brad's a focused guy. I think that, you know, there's a, if they're splitting apart, there's a reason, right? They're splitting, but I don't think it's out of, I don't think they hate each other. I just think sometimes relationships grow old. And I, they, but honest, frank conversations will have to happen. And, and then you have to assume good intentions. You have to assume good thoughts rather than negative thoughts in those difficult moments. Last one for you, and I was surprised to learn this. Road America this weekend, and I've never been there. I can't wait to go because this is described as one of the greatest natural terrain road courses in America. Elevation changes, four miles long, flowing. Uh, but I was surprised to learn you've never been there either. Yeah. I just figured that Harrison has raced there, right? So I figured you had been. But yeah, only once. Okay, there you go. Yeah, he raced there <laughs> last year. Yeah, he raced there last year. Um, okay. No, I've never been. I'm excited to go. I keep hearing. I've heard for years. The crowd's awesome. It's a good time. It's 4th of July. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to going. I watched the race. I watched last year's Xfinity race this morning. Uh, with the track map, you know, I get a track map, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, they're here, they're here, you know. So what you mean? know where like Canada Corner is, and all those places. No, now. Okay. I don't know, I don't know the names, and I don't know the number. <laughs> I know one and through three. The whole me, Latart, Junior, Rick, we're all going for, we're all getting pace cars on Friday. Oh, cool. Yep, and we're gonna go ride around. Although we're gonna have a chaperone, they won't let us go around by ourselves. We have to follow their pace car. I wouldn't trust you guys either. That's a long course, man. Four miles where you guys could make well, there's a no lot of restaurants damage. and bars along the way, so we'll be all right. But, but anyway, we're going we're gonna to make some laps. I'm excited about that because I think, I think for me covering the race, everywhere we go, I know. I've been there, raced there, or whatever. But this is an opportunity 
to learn something new. And that's exciting. I mean, it's exciting to me to go watch on a track I haven't been to, haven't raced on. I wanna, I'm gonna, we're gonna get there on, on Thursday night and on Friday, that's what I'm gonna do Friday. I'm gonna spend all day Friday just checking the track out. You know, walking, hopefully there's some downtime. I know Trans Am's there, Xfinity practice. But I hope there's some downtime where we can just get out and walk the track, spend some time, and really get a get a feel for it. Well, I'm going to be there Friday as well, so I might come find you. If, Let's uh, do it. Let me tag along. All right, man. You can ride a trunk in the pace car. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> thanks for being here, man. <laughs> Our thanks again to NASCAR and NBC analyst Jeff Burton for joining the NASCAR and NBC podcast to talk about the doubleheader at Pocono Raceway. It's always great to get the mayor's insights on NASCAR. Thanks as well to NBC Sports producers Trevor Gavin, Hector Venegas, and Emily Conboy for helping with the coordination and recording of this podcast. NASCAR will bring its premier cup series to Road America for the first time this weekend, and NBC Sports has all the coverage, starting with cup practice Saturday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN, And Xfinity Race Series coverage from Road America will start at 2 p.m. Eastern Saturday on NBC. And then for the 4th of July Sunday, it'll be wall-to-wall motorsports coverage, starting with Cup Series qualifying from Road America at 11 a.m. Eastern on CNBC. And then on NBC at noon Eastern on Sunday, it'll be the IndyCar Race at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. That'll be followed on NBC by Cup Series coverage from Road America. The first Cup Series race at this historic venue will be Sunday starting at 2 p.m. Eastern on NBC. So six consecutive hours of motorsports on NBC Sunday for the 4th of July. NASCAR and IndyCar, tune in. It should be a lot of fun. And as you heard, this episode was taped on camera at the NASCAR and NBC studio in Charlotte. And you can check out the video version of the NASCAR and NBC podcast on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. Subscribe while you're there. Tons of great video content posting daily in that spot, including full replays of the NASCAR America Motormouth shows on Peacock. The NASCAR and NBC podcast is available wherever you download podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review to help spread the word. And any feedback you can send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because. Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface.